Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that your eternal word might shine through these simple words. Bring us your life in the places of our hearts that are shadowy and the places of your world in need. In Jesus' name, amen. So earlier this year, the CEO of Tesla Motors and billionaire futurist Elon Musk announced his company, SpaceX, has an ambitious plan. This company would send two people into space who would then fly around the moon. In doing this, these two people would be venturing further into space than human beings ever had. It's very exciting, scientifically. In doing this, um, for Musk, this isn't just about science or exploration, though. He sees it as much, much bigger. He sees it as a contribution to the human race itself. Life, he says, life needs to be just more than just solving problems every day. You need to wake up and be excited about the future, to be inspired and want to live. Without something for us humans to look forward to, says our friend Elon Musk, without something to be inspired by, life is incomplete, to say the least. And whatever your thoughts on space travel may be, this eccentric billionaire is right about something. We humans are future-oriented creatures. We humans can look ahead, plan, work towards goals and outcomes, which sets us apart from most, if not all, animals. Whether it's career, whether it's the health and welfare of a family, whether it's a dream for retirement, fame, fortune, life accomplishments, or even something like a just society, whether it's for short-term survival or long-term projects, our lives tend to be motivated by what we believe we're working towards, a future that inspires us, something that motivates us, something that makes us want to live and to live towards that. Because we are future-oriented creatures. We're future-oriented creatures. And while that can be a wonderful thing, it can also be a destructive thing. I remember when I was an intern at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, sitting with a woman in her mid-40s who needed surgery on account of her heavy drug use. Looking at me, tears in her eyes, she said, my life wasn't supposed to be like this. Now, of course, wasted potential is always a sad thing. I think that that's what we usually go with. You could have made something of your life. But the saddest thing for me was that the life, the dreams she had set out for herself had been completely destroyed. And without a future, she felt completely hopeless. She felt futureless, that the future had been closed off to her permanently. There was no way out. She blew it. 
And so she wrote herself off entirely. Now, this woman isn't alone. It's a more extreme example, maybe, but this can happen to each and every one of us. For those of us who've grown up or lived lives in poverty, you know the stress of worrying about whether or not we'll have enough to survive tomorrow can be enough to finally, eventually kill us. Or for those of us who suffer from depression, I know one of the worst feelings is being without a hope that motivates us or inspires us to get up in the morning. Still for others, it might be the career we always wanted but never really panned out. Or retirement ends up being a time where we lose the focus and purpose in our lives because our jobs actually gave us that before. Or a relationship or a family that we imagine ourselves having doesn't meet up, line up with our expectations. Or our relationship with our children or our grandchildren isn't the dreamy thing we always thought it would be. Or maybe just the uncertain state of the world itself can make us anxious and worry about our lives and the lives of our children. Regardless of what it is, fear for the future produces anxiety. It can be something destructive because, as I said, we are future-oriented creatures. We need something to inspire us and make us want to live. And without it, the future can imprison us just as easily as it can motivate us or empower us. And then we can give ourselves over to worry and even fall into despair or even wonder what the point of it all was in the first place. So without a future that inspires, we can fall into despair. And if you're listening to the scripture passage, you might notice the similarity between Abraham's situation. I said Abraham, not Abram. Abraham's situation in this morning's scripture passage is similar to this idea. After these things, begins this morning's scripture passage, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Somehow God speaks and somehow Abraham hears. And the first words out of God's mouth or metaphorical mouth are this, these. Do not be afraid, God says to Abraham. And what is Abraham afraid of exactly? If we continue in the text, we find out. And Abraham said to God, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You know him. You've given me no heir, Abraham continues. So a slave that we've adopted into our family is going to be it. Abraham's afraid because he's got no children. And the terrorizing part for him is that the biological clock isn't just ticking. It's run completely out of batteries, like the clock in my office, if you've ever been there. This may not seem like a big deal to us, but to Abraham and his culture, legacy is everything. And your real legacy is your heirs, your children, your offspring. Abraham would take the phrase, children are our future, very literally. And they have to be your own biological children, 
can't be adopted because your genes are your only shot at immortality. No children of your own, no future. God says to Abraham, be not afraid because Abraham is afraid. He's terrified because he looks at his life, childless, landless, and he becomes hopeless. Future-oriented creature that he is. Now, we might expect God in a story like this to just snap some fingers and boom, baby, huge family, land. But it doesn't work like that. God doesn't just give Abraham what he wants. God doesn't work like that in the scriptures or in our everyday lives. But God gives Abraham something more important. God takes something away from Abraham and gives him something more important. Remember how Abraham expressed his doubts to God earlier. You have given me no offspring, Abraham said. And way back in chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, but all he's got is an adoptive slave. And here God responds. Abraham, he said, this guy won't be your heir. It'll be somebody who will carry your genes. And then it says that God takes him outside into the night air. It's pitch black. You know, unlike here, there's no electrical lighting obscuring the view. So the stars are like white pinholes in the sky. And look, God says to Abraham, look up. You can't even count how many stars there are in the sky. This is going to be the size of your family. You can imagine yourself as Abraham. I mean, whenever I stand outside in the night sky, I get this sense of awe at the majesty of creation. Surely, if God could create this, Abraham thinks to himself, even though biblical characters don't have inner monologues, surely, if God could create this, surely God could have a part for me to play in it too. Abraham's going to have a child of his own. If you read on in the story, you'll find it comes in quite an unexpected way, but God promises that he'll have his heir, this child of his own. And the amazing thing is that in hearing this news, Abraham's heart opens. It says that Abraham believed God, not just an idea, belief, but the idea is that he trusted God. He put his heart to God and trusted his future to him entirely. And it says, God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Fearful, anxious of the future he couldn't control, as Abraham was, future-oriented creature that he is, God actually removes the burden from Abraham for the future. God takes the burden of the future off of Abraham's shoulders, and he's able to trust his life fully to God here and now. He can move forward. Things look like he's at a dead end right now, but he's able to actually trust God with his future, a future that he doesn't, can't see, doesn't know about. But nonetheless, 
he's able to trust. Like Abraham, so many of our fears and anxieties come from worries about unfulfilled potential and lost opportunities. They come from our grief over what might have been and our worries about the what the future might hold or might not hold for each of us. But we can't control the future. The future is beyond our control. And that's probably why it's so frightening and anxiety-inducing. But what this story actually says to us and the story of the broader Christian tradition says that we don't actually believe that the future belongs to us anyway. And thank God for that. The future says our scripture, the, says the broader story of the Bible belongs to no one but God. Abraham here is actually the paradigm for Christian faith. He's the example our tradition always points to when we talk about what it means to live by faith. St. Paul in the New Testament actually connects Jesus to Abraham in the sense that Jesus gave up his future to God to the point of death on a cross, which usually means that's the end. Death means no future. But even in Jesus' own teaching, Jesus says, if you want to keep your life, you've got to learn to give it away. Jesus is the perfect example of giving one's future over completely and fully to God. If you want to keep your life, you've got to learn to give it up. Abraham's life-giving discovery wasn't that he would get any future he'd wanted or wished for, but he discovered that true freedom is found in giving the control of our future away, giving our future over to God in trust. And in doing so, later on in our scripture, I would have loved to get into the rest of the scripture with the weird sacrifice and the, oh, it would have been so good, but sermons can only be so long. In doing so, he could go into his old age without fear, without making sure everything turned out right. So Abraham is the example of perfect faithfulness to God. And in reading this scripture, I couldn't help be reminded of the last speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave before he was assassinated. Martin Luther King, um, you know, was beaten up, uh, sh shot with, uh, shot with uh, fire hoses, uh, bit by dogs, and he continued his uh, ministry in the civil rights for a long period of time. Even after uh, his I Have a Dream speech, he, uh, uh, when Martin Luther King gave his last speech, he was giving a speech in solidarity with striking garbage workers. And there had been so many threats against his life, threats that would discourage anybody, that basically said, if you show up today, you're dead. But King himself did not give in to that fear for the future. King himself trusted his future to God. And this is what he was able to say in this speech knowing that he could be assassinated, and he was assassinated the very next day. 
well, I don't really know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know that tonight we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr. was somebody whose future, his imagination was so wrapped up in God's will, his trust was so deep that he could live his life freely and fully even in the face of death and pain and assassination. This is Abrahamic faith that Martin Luther King Jr. exhibited. And this is the faith that is at the center of Christianity. Faith in a God to whom the future belongs to permanently. The near future and the future beyond our seeing. We're not responsible for making sure our lives turn out right. We're not responsible for making the world turn out right either. I know, you were probably just suffering under the burden of that. This is something that we actually don't have the power to do because the future belongs to God. And there's incredible freedom in giving over our future to God. When we're no longer responsible for the future, for making things turn out right, we can actually be present here and now, like Martin Luther King said, I just want to do God's will. Yes, to live by faith is to believe that the future belongs to God and that we can trust God with our lives because we believe that God's end game, the meaning and purpose we've been made for, is the flourishing of all creation. For the broken world mended, hearts made whole, all things made new. Death to the old world of fear, anxiety, and mistrust, and resurrection for life that has no end. For each of us, to experience life in the full here and now and forever. I dare to say it's what Elon Musk was talking about. God's future is something that inspires us, makes us want to live, even when the four walls seem so close in on us that there's no way out. The future belongs to God. That part, that destiny part, that's God's job, but our job right now is to trust God here and now, and we do so by following in the same path that God in Christ has pioneered for us. By loving unconditionally, giving of what we have and ourselves without fear of not having enough, by learning and becoming more and more like Christ each step of the way, each step on the path towards salvation. We can give the future over to God because the future belonged to God 
in the first place. Or as the great poet T.S. Eliot once wrote, ours is in the trying, the rest is none of our business. Ours is in the trying, the rest, the future, the outcome, that belongs to God. And I don't know about you, but I think that's good news. Amen.